Hello and welcome back to Horror from the High Desert. I am your host, Scotty Milder. This week we have one of the very first people I met when I started publishing a few years ago. Uh, this is Bridget Nelson. So Bridget is a registered nurse turned horror author. Her first collection of Bouquet of Viscera is a two-time Splatterpunk Award finalist, recognized both for the collection itself and its standout story, Jinx. Her work has appeared in Counting Bodies Like Sheep, Dead and Bloated, American Cannibal, A Woman Unbecoming, and several volumes of the If I Die Before I Wake series of anthologies. She lives in West Virginia with her husband Doug, her children Parker and Autumn, three pugs, and her frequently aroused 190-pound St. Bernard, who has way more followers on Instagram than she does. Bridget is working on her first original novel and has been contracted by Encyclopocalypse Publications to write a novelization of the cult classic film Dead Girl, and we're definitely going to be talking about that in this episode. Uh, She's an active member of the Horror Writers Association and the co-chair of HWA West Virginia. She was a 2022 Michael Nost Wings Award nominee and won second place out of 14 contestants in the 2022 Gross Out Contest at KillerCon in Austin. Bridget thoroughly enjoys writing, mainly because wearing a bra is not required. She also likes tarantulas a lot. So I've known Bridget now for three, four years. Um, she's one of my favorite writers uh, right now. She's um, Her career is really taking off. And uh, one thing we do talk about, we recorded this episode a few weeks ago. So you'll hear us kind of allude to the fact that she has a couple new collections coming out. Uh, well, actually, those collections are now out. They came out a couple weeks ago. One is called What the Fuck Was That? The other one is Sweet, Sour, and Spicy. So yeah, this was a really fun conversation. Uh, we get into her career. We get into her novelization of Dead Girl. We do talk about the Gross Out Contest, which we both participated in at KillerCon. And yeah, it was just a really good conversation overall. Um, before we get started, I just want to do a little quick in real time fact check and correction. So you'll notice during the conversation, Wrath James White comes up and I repeatedly called him Wrath James Wright for some reason. I don't have a good excuse for that. I just got it wrong. I brain farted. I know who he is. You don't need to at me. I know I got that wrong, uh, but I did want to correct that before we get started. So without further ado, here's Bridget Nelson. You're sort of one of the first people, like when I started seriously getting back into um, writing fiction, kind of moving away from the film stuff um, and started publishing, you're kind of one of the very first people I actually got to know, like in this whole community. Yeah. So. so the way you and I got to know each other is I think we both appear, you you appeared, your story, Political Suicide, was in um, the If I Die Before I Wake Volume 3, right? Which Correct. Is, yeah. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who know it's a company called sinister smile press uh we've both been in a bunch of their anthologies <laughs> yeah um they have a series called if i die before i wake um and i think i read somewhere was that your first published story it was yes <laughs> yes i i decided i was going to start trying to write again it was kind of mm-hmm. like at the beginning of covid and mm-hmm. i was like um you know i might just give this a shot and so i turned it in and it was published i was really happy <laughs> well it's funny because i just reread it um this morning actually because it's the first thing of yours i had read obviously mm-hmm. um i've read a bunch of your stuff since and uh, <laughs> for for your first published story like that like it's it's one of my favorites in the sense that it's just everything builds to this perfect conclusion um, like it's a very it's a very confident story for for a first published work well thank you so i guess uh 
I'll start out since we brought that up. Go ahead and just tell us a little bit about that story and kind of where it came from and like. So I have been dealing with, well, I had been dealing like for many years, uh, trying to get um, various autism legislature passed in our state. Mm. I live in West Virginia right. for my son because like the the laws here are just ridiculous. They're antiquated and they just don't work. Mm-hmm. And I realized during that time that dealing with politicians is just maddening (laughs) it's it's a nightmare yeah so when i heard that the theme of this book was tales of revenge i was thinking okay who's somebody i'd really like to get revenge on (laughs) (laughs) a politician so so this story kind of just like it kind of worked its way out in my head now obviously when i started it i wasn't quite planning uh you know like all the demented crap (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's that's kind of where it started, though. Like it was actually like, you know, I was the mother in the story, basically. Like that was mm-hmm. kind of like a little bit of my story. Not obviously not my right. story, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, you know, write what you know. I was writing what I know. So, yeah. And and just so a little, I don't want to spoil it because it's definitely a story that I think you have to read going kind of the less you know about where it goes. Right. <laughs> but just the setup was it's, it's a young mother with a young son who in the story he has now I'm I know I'm going to butcher the pronunciation but it's glioblastoma is that correct? glioblastoma yeah glioblastoma so which is if I'm not mistaken I think that's the type of brain cancer that killed John McCain you know what I think you might be correct I think it's a very aggressive yeah yeah, I'm not positive, aggressive. but I think yeah, very aggressive. Yeah, and uh, you know she's she's basically dependent on this like government program for his treatment in this like real son of a bitch of a state senator. Uh, <laughs> basically cancels the program for his own political reasons, and then it picks up with her twelve years later. Now she's a very successful surgeon her son has unfortunately passed away and then she encounters the senator again and we'll just leave it there (laughs) (laughs) but i remember reading because um that volume if i die before i wake it was volume three tales of deadly women and retribution correct yes i'll post links to these things in the show notes it wasn't the first thing i had published but it was pretty early in my publishing I didn't Weird. actually realize that. I assumed you had been publishing for a while. So no, I didn't no, no, no. <laughs> no, I had been, I mean, I've talked a little bit about it on here already, but I had been working in the film industry for a long time. Right. I had started, you know, back in you know high school, back in the 90s. My goal was to be a fiction writer. And I kind of moved into the film stuff in the early 2000s and really sort of dropped the fiction writing altogether. So I didn't get back to that seriously probably until 2018. And then If I Die Before I Wake, that came out on, was that 2020? I think so. I think it came out, yeah, like fall 2020, yes. Yeah. So I think I'd had I'd had like two or three stories published, but like we we were pretty much starting off kind of at the same time. I didn't realize that actually. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> That and, surprises me because your stories are so polished and well-written. Oh, well, I did, I well, did not realize that. So. <laughs> well, I remember reading, specifically reading Political Suicide and just thinking, like, I, I think I even mentioned it on my other podcast, The Weirdest Thing. Um, it reminded me very much, have you ever read Dolan's Cadillac, Stephen King's Dolan's Cadillac? It's a novella. I want to say it was in his Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Anthology. I have read Nightmares and Dreamscapes. 
Yeah, but I think like, it's... I, I'm terrible at remembering specific. Okay. Now, if I actually like read the first page again, I'd be like, oh yeah, I remember it. But titles, I'm like terrible at them. Well, it's the one about the guy whose wife is killed by the mobster, so he comes up with a way to exact revenge on this mobster. Um, yeah. And political suicide reminded me very much of that. And it's one of my favorite Stephen King stories. And I felt like, well, I remember reading political suicide and thinking like, oh, this is like her doing kind of a Dolan's Cadillac thing. And then you took it in such a fucked up, like, <laughs> <laughs> completely unexpected direction that I, I was just like, chef's kiss. Like, <laughs> I absolutely loved it. So that definitely put you like, you know, kind of on my radar. Um, right. And then we kind of got to know each other a little bit because you were actually working for Sinister Smile Press at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, how did that come about? So I had, before I started writing, I was sort of like blogging and reviewing books. Mm -hmm. And my friend Dita on Goodreads, she had actually contacted me and said, hey, you know, there's this new publisher. He has a new anthology that's coming out. Would you like to review it? And so I actually reviewed the first two of in the, oh, okay. in the that series, the if I die before I wake series. So Bob and I had kind of become friends. And then he actually mentioned they were looking for an intern to um, begin working for them. And I was like, okay, well, I'll interview for that. And um, so I started kind of helping them out. And then they, you know, gradually as I, you know, I was there, I started, my titles started getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's kind of how, that's kind of how it came about randomly. Just basically I knew Bob from, reviewing books so. okay that's interesting yeah because i i was kind of doing the same thing I, I had a little blog that no one was reading <laughs> yeah and then i was reviewing stuff on goodreads too but i wasn't like reaching out to any of the people i was reviewing i was just posting reviews and that's mostly what i was doing as well so but it wasn't you know somehow you guys were able to kind of make that connection right let's go back a little. so so you're from west virginia yeah you said uh, just a couple minutes ago, you said with political suicide, you had started writing again. So that kind of indicates, had you been writing when you were younger and kind of like gave it up for a long yeah. time? Or? Yeah, I, I wrote a lot when I was younger, when I was in like grade school, middle school, high school, I wrote a lot. I wrote for mm -hmm. our county journal. I live in a very, I grew up in a very small town. So we had mm -hmm. one journal for the entire county and I wrote for it. And when I was in high school and I wrote for our college paper, I wrote a lot but it wasn't so much um it was you know it was more like paper based you know like mm -hmm. newspaper based type stuff it wasn't so much you know like fiction yeah but I love to write and when I went to college I had actually planned to major in creative writing and minor in journalism and my dad was like no mm, <laughs> interesting. Like, you need to get a degree where mm. no matter where you move no matter what you're doing you can find a job so he's like you can always write without having those degrees but he's like you need to find a degree that you know you'll actually be able to work with right and you know he wasn't wrong yeah <laughs> it was very discouraging but I decided to go to nursing school instead mm. and because I've always been very interested in sciences and like anatomy and physiology and all those types of things and yeah. it was actually a really good fit I loved nursing and I think, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I think I was actually a really good nurse. Mm -hmm. But um, then my, I got married and I had my son. And when he was almost three, he was diagnosed with autism. Mm -hmm. And I had just had my daughter too. So I had a newborn daughter and I had a son who was just diagnosed with autism and who they were calling quite severe on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I literally was like, okay, I need to make a choice here. Yeah. Do I quit my job and like focus on my newborn daughter and my son who had therapies like three times a day. Right. Or do I just let it go? And of course I was not going to just let it go. So it was yeah. like, I, 
So we made, my husband and I made the decision where it was like, okay, you know, we can make this work with just his income. It'll be tight, but at least, you know, the kids will have their mom there all the time. So that's, that's kind of what happened. And then I basically spent the next 20 years raising my kids. In fact, Mm -hmm. I ended up homeschooling them for like eight years. So, you know, it was kind of like, I never wrote at all during that time. So when I say again, it's, it wasn't that I had anything published previously. It was just that I did write all the time when I was younger and then it just completely cut off and I was a mom. I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, what you're saying about your dad saying you have to get like, you know, the quote real job, you know, right. right. Um, And that you can always write kind of on your own. And like you said, that's not wrong. I had similar conversations with my parents for the, and I, and I was doing similar things. You know, I was a writer, uh, you know, for as long as I can remember before I even really knew it was a thing. But I got really serious about it in middle school and high school. Yeah. And, you know, obviously wanted to be a horror writer. That's, you know, that was the plan from <laughs> when I was like 12 right. years old. But I did the, you know, the the sensible degree, quote unquote, was uh, journalism. So you did too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, my parents, they were never discouraging of the writing, but but they definitely were like, find a way to monetize this you know in a way mm-hmm. that like seems like there's an actual career and i was doing the same thing i was working for i was writing for the local newspaper and the and the high school newspaper and things like that so i so i actually went and got a journalism degree and graduated right at the time that it became very clear that newspapers were dying not right right <laughs> so that it was like well now what and then i did the next sensible thing which was i'm gonna go to film school which you know <laughs> which is pretty cool actually it was cool it was maybe not the most uh practical <laughs> it was it wasn't like going to nursing school right right yeah um but it is interesting how you know you can you can tell yourself like oh i'm yeah no i'll never stop doing this i'll, I'll keep doing this and doesn't matter what job i have or what family obligations and then you know just life kind of happens life happens know? right and and honestly i didn't even honestly think about writing all those years I was just so consumed with everything mm-hmm. else you know it was like there was a lot going on in my life during those years so it was like I didn't I didn't really have time to miss it right but then once my kid you know once we had Parker where he was doing really well and Autumn was older and more mature and you know they were kind of starting to do their own thing mm-hmm. it was kind of like you know I can you know Why I can not? take some time for myself now right so yeah. well it's I mean it's really seems to be working out for you <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching like your career is really just sort of in the last couple of years, just skyrocket. I mean, you've been nominated for a uh, splatterpunk award. Yeah. You've been now. Okay. Were you not, I'm, I'm forgetting now. Were you nominated for Stoker? Or were you on the like reading list for Stoker? How I was just, work? I was on the reading list for the collection and for the story Aras, which is in a uh, bouquet of Visera. Mm, right. But I okay. did not make it to the preliminary list. So okay. just on the reading list. But yeah, I didn't actually, I didn't actually submit it either. Like that was not me. Somebody else mm. did that. So I was like, <laughs> hell yeah. But yeah. yeah so. No, well, that's, I mean, I've been trying to get on that damn reading list for the last <laughs> few years. <laughs> So I mean that's that's <laughs> just getting that far is pretty fucking huge. Right. I mean the Splatterpunk Award, obviously that's huge. Now that's that's gonna be this coming August, this right? Coming August, yeah, yeah. I my book was nom or a bouquet of this or was nominated for best collection, mm-hmm. but I'm up against like Christine Morgan and Ed Lee, <laughs> Kenzie Jennings. <It's> like, <laughs> 
I mean, it's good competition, but I think yeah, having good. reread some of your your stuff in preparation for this, like I think you've got a, I think you're 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 in good fighting shape for that. <laughs> oh well, thank you. Yeah. Well, Jinx is also nominated for best short story, so yeah, it's so very different. I guess it just depends whether or not the judges like you know more like the Ed Lee gory, you know, like mm-hmm. in your face extreme horror, or if they like the more Jack Ketchum punch you in the gut kind of story because jinx is very much more a jack ketchum jack type ketchum, of story right. yeah <laughs> so. so i'm gonna get i'm gonna get back to bouquet of viscera and jinx and specifically in a second sure. but you know going back and reading some of your earlier stuff before the collection came out like you've really become kind of known i think as an extreme horror writer at this point and I it have. seems like you're you're very much have leaned into that but reading some of the <laughs> earlier things you know you definitely like you weren't pulling punches i mean political suicide's an incredibly fucked up story <laughs> in the best way <laughs> right but it seems like over time you really like you kind of found your way to the extreme horror because the earlier stuff wasn't quite as much, you know. It wasn't. Where was that transition for you? Like, when did when did that click to go in that kind of Jack Ketchum, Edward Lee sort of direction? Okay, so the first few stories, the ones that you're talking about, they were mm-hmm. all written with guidelines because they were going to be submitted to anthologies. Right. So they were kind of written with that in mind. Uh-huh. My tendency is always to lean more into the extreme. That's just me. Uh-huh. But I had to kind of tone that down. And in fact, when Bob would get some of the stories that I wrote, he'd be like, Bridget, we need to cut this. And we need to cut this. We need to cut this because I'd put stuff in there that just didn't fly. But when I, okay, when I published A Bouquet of Viscera, my thought process was this is not an extreme horror book. Like I, I never thought of myself as an extreme horror author. I didn't think of myself as a splatterpunk author. Mm-hmm. But when the book came out, that's exactly what I started to be labeled. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, well, this is interesting. So I thought, well... If people are already seeing me in that light, then yeah, I'm going to lean into it and just write what I've always wanted to write anyway, which is, you know, that's what I kind of wanted Mm -hmm. to do from the start, but I was always kind of restrained. So when I decided I was going to do this collection, I knew I had all these stories that had reverted back to me to write, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to write a couple stories that sort of reflect me. Mm -hmm. And that's how Jinx and Auras came about. Like those were not... You know, those were not really for anything. They were for me. So, right. like, so that and then the, I think those are kind of the two that probably pushed people into, you know, thinking, okay, she's she's more extreme. So, yeah. So I haven't read Auras yet because I the way I tend to read collections and anthologies is I just kind of pick around it. Pick random. and choose. Yeah. Because um, Auras, I think, is the first one. It's the very first one. Yeah. Yeah. I have a weird habit of I always skip the first story at first and then I go back later. So Okay, that is kind of a weird habit, Scott. It is. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. I've always been like that. But I have read Jinx and you, you compared it to Jack Ketchum and I would say that's an apt comparison. Jinx is one of the most profoundly upsetting things I've ever read. Yeah. and um it's it's an incredible story like it, it's really just no holds barred and beautifully written while being just just excruciating i don't want to say too much about it I, I mean that's definitely a story i think that requires trigger warning for people oh yeah you know obviously it deals with issues of sexual assault but it was I've always been a little like, like when we get to, you know, the movies, and I think in your notes on the story, you even referred to I Spit on Your Grave. Yeah. You know, the the quote unquote rape revenge mm-hmm. movies. I've always been like real on the fence about that as a genre. And what I like about Jinx is it feels more 
on you know it's kind of got the same setup and then where you take it there's an honesty to it where you're not giving you know it's real comforting to watch like an extreme rape revenge movie and then like oh well at least you got to like shotgun the guy in the dick or something right right. (laughs) and you don't give us that catharsis and jinx Mm -hmm. and again i'm trying to not be I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> right. I mean, what I'm not someone like I have been trying to push myself a little bit more in the splatterpunk direction, but it doesn't tend to be my instinct. Mm-hmm. So I'm really fascinated by people who can go can really go there. What is it, do you think, with a story like Jinx, like, I don't want to, you know, do the whole, like, where does the story come from? Where do you get your ideas kind of thing? But, like, what what compels you to write something like that, that I have to imagine is, like, on some level, painful to write as well as... Oh, to my God. Yeah. yeah. That story took me... I believe I started it in August of 21 and I was still writing it in November. So, I mean, and it's not, you know, it's 10,000, 12,000. I don't even, I'm not sure how long it was, but you know, it's not a terribly long story, No. but it was just so painful to write that I would literally just have to take breaks from it. Mm-hmm. But basically I woke up one morning with the entire like beginning of the story in my head. And it was just, it was one of those situations where it's like, this is horrible and I need to get it out and I need to just write it. So I wrote that entire, like the entire prologue, Mm -hmm. like one morning. And I was like, oh my God, what do I do with this story now? Like, I don't even know where to go with this. Mm -hmm. And so I just started kind of just piecing this story together. And I I had no idea how it was going to end. I was totally pantsing the story. I had no idea where it was going to go. And I got to, you know, where I was, you know, near the end. And I was like, I went to my friend, Richard Dansky. And I was like, Rich, I don't know how because I started this story so heavy and so over the top and so in your face, I felt like I needed to somehow balance that out at the end. Like it mm-hmm. was just, I, I felt like I couldn't have like kind of an anticlimactic ending, you know, like mm-hmm. when I, you know, just literally like just shoved this story in people's faces. And he's like, well, what if? And he gave me the idea that he didn't actually give me the idea. He just said, you know, well, what if it's not necessarily a happy ending? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, you know what? That can actually work. <laughs> and so, but I wanted it to be handled well. And I, mm-hmm. I, tr- I tried really hard to, uh, I don't want to give too much away from the story in case anybody sure. wants to read it, but it's like, yeah. I tried really hard, even though things weren't necessarily going the way for the main character that you would have hoped. I tried really hard to give her dignity and a voice and like, you know, make the story still about her and not about what was being done to her, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So it was, it was a really difficult story to write. It was not fun, but, and it's not my favorite story that I've written because it's just so dark, but it is still to this day, the story that I'm most proud of, because I feel like that story is just, it's going to evoke something in you. I don't know what it's going to evoke, but it's going to Mm -hmm. evoke emotions and that makes me proud. So. Well, that story is like a real accomplishment, I think, because, and, and you said the right thing, I think, when you talked about, you know, what what is it that sets that story apart? Is the dignity that you provide to that character, even in the most degrading of circumstances. Right, right. Um, there's never a moment in that story where we're reveling in what happens to her. Or we're like, no. it reminds me of something, you know, back to Jack Ketchum, who's one of my you know, again, I, I don't really consider myself an extreme horror writer, but I will 
touch on extreme stuff sometimes right. and jack right. ketchum is one of my touchstones you know in terms of like how to do it right mm-hmm. because if you read uh his novel uh i'm sure you've read it uh the girl next door uh-huh. yes yeah <laughs> which yeah. i mean infamous <laughs> infamous book obviously mm-hmm. it's inspired by the sylvia likens murder right and he wrote i, I think it was in one of the paperback ver- i don't know if this is in the original version it might have been a re-release but he wrote an afterword talking about that story and he talked about you know He's like, I'm not afraid of vampires. I'm not afraid of werewolves. Uh, you know, obviously I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember the exact name. But he was basically like, you know, I write about what actually scares me, which is people. Yeah. And my reaction to getting scared is to get mad. And when you read something like The Girl Next Door, it's you can feel his anger right. at what happened to this character. Which, again, who, who is, again, based on a real, you know, it's based right. on a real story. And through that anger that he felt, I think that's where he never loses sight of her humanity or her dignity. Okay. She's never just like a piece of meat for him to abuse and kind of like cackle. Over, right. You know? Right. And I felt the same thing with Jinx is that excruciating as that story is, what makes it excruciating is that we are, we never leave her behind. It's all from her perspective and it's all, you know, you make us feel everything that happens to her. Mm-hmm. And you make us, you know, we never, we never lose our empathy for her. And you do, even in the worst moments, you give her this, this core of strength that I think mm-hmm. keeps her from being just a victim. Just know? a victim. That was, that was my goal. And I'm, I'm glad that that's coming through because I was really scared that that wouldn't come through. And I wanted that to come through. Oh, I think that, I mean, I think that's what, like, why I say like that story is like a real accomplishment. It really, and it felt like just like. I could feel your confidence as a writer. What's like I said, even from political suicide, um, I felt like you have, you've always had this confidence as a writer, but I felt like it even, like you really felt like you were like trusting yourself in that story. And you can't write a story like that without that, you know? I don't know. I don't know if I was trusting myself though, because I was scared as hell to let anybody read it. I was like, no, yeah. no, they're going to think I'm a terrible person. <laughs> well, that was you know, not I, the story I, that I wanted to share. I guess that trusting yourself as a writer is maybe like a little different than trusting yourself as like putting <laughs> something out in the world, you know? Right, right. You can write the thing, but then I definitely have things I've written that I'm like, should that stay in the drawer? <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Like your confidence, like just in the story itself, I think really comes through. I, if I'd written that, I would have been terrified to <laughs> share it with anybody. <laughs> what? And then what when I went, that? oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, what overall was the reaction to that story? Well, okay, so that actually applies to what I was going to say. So before A Bouquet of Visser was published, my friend Jeff Strand sat me down and he was like, look, he's like, Jinx is an amazing story. He's like, but it goes with the territory that there are going to be people who read this, who are deeply offended by the story, who right. hate it on every level, and who will like give the, the book a bad rating because of that. He's like, so just prepare yourself. I was like, okay. So the book release, I was a nervous freaking (laughs) did not know what to expect. It was my first book. So it was like, I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited and it did not happen. And oddly enough, I would say probably 80% of the people who have read the entire collection, that's their favorite story in the collection. And I 
I was not expecting that. Well, it's, when it's, it's reviewed, it's like the one that's always mentioned. And it's just like, I okay, all right. So honestly, yeah. it actually went really well. Like people mm -hmm. responded to the story. I think part of it is because there was a trigger. I did decide to put the trigger warning just before that particular story. Yeah. So people were kind of, you know, it wasn't like a shock going in. But um, yeah, it actually, it's it's been surprisingly positive about that story. So I think, you know, the, the trigger warning thing is an interesting because i know that this is this is a big debate in oh, the horror yeah. world <laughs> yeah particularly obviously in the extreme horror world right and i mean i think i even asked the question at killer con in one of the panels and Wrath <laughs> james Wright was on the panel and i was like what do you guys think of the idea of trigger warnings and he was like i think it's fucking stupid <laughs> which is sort of what you expect <laughs> it's almost what you right. want from Wrath james right <laughs> But, you know, I guess where I come down on it, and I'm curious where you you feel about it, is I think if they're voluntary, I think they can be good and useful. I think they should not be compelled by outside forces, because I don't want anyone else appointing themselves the moral guardian over right. work. But, you know, I read a story like Jinx, and, like, I think there are people who absolutely would appreciate that there's a trigger warning. Right. And it shows that you, just you including the trigger warning shows that, like, you understood the severity of what you were dealing with mm -hmm. in that. So where do you come down just in general on the whole issue of trigger warnings? Here's the thing. I know a lot of people think, okay, well, if it's an extreme horror book and you're known as an extreme horror writer, you shouldn't need the triggers. People should go in expecting what they're going right. to expect. But here's the thing. When I put out a bouquet of viscera, I was an unknown. Yeah. Nobody really knew what I wrote or what, you know, like what my, my vibe was as an author. So. Well, like you said, you know, even, or like we said, even some of your earlier stuff, if people had known you from some of, you know, a, a story like um, The Show Must Go On. Right. Not a particularly extreme story. It's mm -hmm. got some moments that are kind of gnarly, but it's certainly not <laughs> Ed, Ed Lee, <laughs> you know. So no, it's, it's no Ed Lee. If right. I had known you from that story alone and then picked up Bouquet of Viscera, right. you know, might have been a bit of a shock. But, you know, I... It was something that I was, I felt very strongly about. Like, I didn't necessarily think all the stories in the book needed a trigger warning. Like, I wasn't going to trigger warning the entire book, put a big trigger warning on the entire book. But that story in particular, you know, it starts out so brutal and so in your face. There was no way I was going to let any readers, you know, go into that story without, you know, just blindly. That I wasn't going to do it. Right. Like, I don't give a shit if people think, well, you're an extreme horror writer or whatever. But, you know, if there's something that I think will truly, like, you know, make a reader just absolutely terrible if they read this story or you know that will indeed trigger them i don't want that you know like i want my reading my books to be enjoyable i don't want people right. to be like oh my god you know like that just crushed my soul like i can't mm -hmm. that's not well that's not my goal right. so to me i don't think necessarily like, you know i have two collections that are coming out literally next month so it was like okay these are they're being you know, there's Ed Lee blurbs on the cover. There are, sure. you know, the covers are very much reminiscent of an extreme horror author. So it's like, you know, I don't feel like these, even though these stories are the most extreme things I've ever written, it, a few of them, I didn't put trigger warnings in this book because I feel like the package itself is telling you everything that you need to know. Right. Well, <laughs> and like you said, like so. at this point, people are getting to know you out, like you're part of right. that community. You know, right. you're part of that extreme horror community. And right. like you said, having an Edley blurb, you know. Right. You know, you've been nominated for Splatterpunk Awards. Like, I think when going back to Rath's, you know, statement, of like, I think they're fucking stupid. I mean, it kind of makes sense for him. You know, because like right. everyone knows, I mean, if for the most part, if you're going to pick up a Rath James Wright book. You know exactly what you're you, getting. Right. You kind of right. know what you're getting. 
you know but like where you were with bouquet of viscera i think obviously you know this was your kind of your your coming out moment you know and a lot of people didn't know who you were right and it does make sense to me and you know i think people misunderstand the purpose of a trigger warning Mm -hmm. it's not about like oh people being offended like i don't care if anyone's offended by anything no 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 but Same. for someone who's gone through a trauma and may suffer from post-traumatic stress or anything right. like that, you know, a story like Jinx can actually make someone relive a trauma. Right. And if they're not prepared for that, you're putting someone through a level of pain that, like, they didn't necessarily ask for. It's not that they're offended, right? It's that they're exactly. traumatized. Exactly. And I think that's that's the distinction there. Yes, thank you. You worded that much more eloquently than I did. But yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I meant. Yeah, I do not want to traumatize anybody. Right. I don't care if I offend people. That's I do not care. But yeah, I do not want to like physically, mentally and emotionally hurt people when they're reading right. the stories. So exactly. and for that reason, there are there is a time and a place for certain trigger warnings. I'm not saying that everybody needs to use them or that, you know, like like I said, I'm not putting them in my new books, even though mm-hmm. they're some of the most extreme stuff I've ever written. But, right. you know, there is a time and place when they're necessary. And to me, that was one of those places. And I yeah. I do not apologize for putting a trigger warning in front no, of No, and story. I don't think you should. And, you know, and I also think the trigger warning can be a little bit part of the marketing, to be honest. I think back on when they started putting the, the explicit labels on CDs back in the oh, yeah. you know, late 80s, yeah. early 90s. And this was all, you know, to protect the children. And <laughs> I was a child who was like, ooh, I want that. You know? Right, it just made the children want them more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think about, have you read um, Judas Sonnets, No One Rides for Free? No, I haven't. I bought it. I have not had a chance to read it yet. But I it's, want it's, to. It's in line with something like Jinx. Oh, yeah. And it's got a very strong Jack Ketchum vibe to it. Again, it's a, I'd love to get Judith on the show at some point. I need to read more of her work, but it's a, it's a rough read, you know, for, for similar reasons, but she has a trigger warning right in the middle of the book and she does it in a way that's actually fun. I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen it posted. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, you know it's basically it's it's like going back to Last House on the Left, where it's like just remind yourself it's only a movie, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's like right. it's it's this great homage to Grindhouse films, but also it serves as an actual genuine bona fide trigger warning, you know. Right. And uh, so she managed to do it in a way that is fun, but also kind of serves the purpose it needs to serve, right. because it is true. That after that point, you know, it comes kind of halfway through the book. And after so that it's point, legit. you're it's like, a legit oh, <laughs> okay, shit goes real sideways <laughs> for these characters. Yeah. So, I mean, I, th- I think it's like, I- I'm with you in that, like, I don't think we need them on everything. I, d- I d- right. Like I said, I don't want them imposed. I've seen some arguments for, like, we need some sort of outside governing body to determine, you know, like a rating system like the MPAA. And I'm like, that. the thing that people don't realize about that is that always favors the, like, the best-selling, the, the big authors and is mm-hmm. going to penalize the oh, indie that's authors. That's valid. Yeah, that's a valid yeah. point. That's the way that always has worked um and so you know i th- i think voluntary trigger warnings from authors i think are uh it's a good idea in certain circumstances mm-hmm. but i think it should be you know case by case basis kind of thing 
Right. That's that's basically how I feel about it as well. So I, I want to talk about, I want to get to Bouquet of Viscera, but there are a couple other stories I just want to mention of yours that I've read. Okay. So I mentioned The Show Must Go On. This was in, remind me which anthology that was in. I know it's in Bouquet of Viscera as well. This in the, it was the fifth one, which is Tales of the Otherworldly and Undead. So it was in uh, one of the If I Die Before I Wake. Yeah, yeah you're right. It, it was, was Tales of the Otherworldly and the Undead. Mm-hmm. That's... Like that story is a lot of fun. So the setup for that is it's an actress on Broadway. It starts in the 1940s Mm -hmm. and it's very all about Eve. You know, she's a chorus girl, but she's, it's like all about Eve meets Henry portrait of a serial killer. (laughs) (laughs) Cause you know, she's like, look, she's, she's the up and comer. She's the ingenue and she's looking at all the people up and she's like, how can I eliminate all of my competition? Right. But then it takes this real wild supernatural turn. So just talk a little bit about that story, because I thought that one's a lot of fun. I, I like that story a lot. I actually really like the ending. So so yeah, this up and coming Broadway chorus girl, she basically t- starts taking out her competition. She mm-hmm. takes them out quite brutally. <laughs> but then... <laughs> Just as everything starts to happen for her, she is actually killed. It's such a great, like, almost Tales from the Crypt, like, karmic moment of justice. Right? Like- I know. <laughs> I know. I was actually, I'm sure I was smiling as I typed that scene. Because yeah. <laughs> she was pretty vile. I mean, she really yeah. was. And then it, this, I, I'm, I don't remember the specifics, but it jumps forward many, many years. Like I think it's decades. like the, the, around the late 90s, I think. I think, which you don't actually know exact years because I had to do that on purpose just to yeah. for, the, for the ending. But yeah, and it starts following another ingenue who is, you know, like big Broadway star and mm-hmm. and uh, things start happening to her. She's She starts almost feeling as if she's like somebody else. Like she can't mm-hmm. figure it out. And blackouts. Blackouts, right. And um, eventually it is revealed that I feel like, I feel like we can spoil this one. I don't know. <laughs> I just I feel like you know the book is a year old by now so it's like you know but yeah it's it's eventually revealed that you know she is indeed having blackouts because this woman from the 1940s who was killed at the beginning of the book is actually kind of possessing her body mm-hmm. that she's kind of stayed within the the theater all this time and she's mm-hmm. basically kind of possessing these these girls that who have kind of like come up through the years and right. you know basically taken her place yeah and then of course there's because it's Bridget and because Bridget loves twist endings, there's a big twist ending. <laughs> yeah. And I would say, like, I mean, I think what you just said is not even, doesn't even quite qualify as a spoiler because you kind of reveal what's going on fairly right. early. But I would definitely I leave, let's leave the ending alone yeah. because it is such a, I'd forgotten the ending. I, it was another one I reread. And mm-hmm. when it gets to that ending, I was like, again, just chef's kiss, just so perfect. <laughs> and, and, and it was a great, and again, just great karmic, you know. <laughs> You almost like hear the like sad trombone, the like the wah wah, you know, kind of, <laughs> but in like the perfect way, you know. <laughs> and that's one thing. So, you know, a couple of your stories, I think, in let's see, Invader, I think works this way. You know, whereas a story like Jinx, like I could feel it felt painful to read mm. in the way that I could feel like it was probably painful to write. But then you read a story. So you have a story, Shits and Giggles, which is in um, the Counting Bodies Like Sheep anthology. Yeah. Yeah. Which is an extreme horror. And Shits and Giggles, like, is actually, in terms of what happens, more fucked up than Jinx. 
but the tone is so different because so different. that one you can tell you are having a blast <laughs> can you tell i was having oh, fun yeah. right <laughs> and it's it's we'll just say it's a surgery that goes wildly <laughs> awry um, because of a crazy doctor and it reminded me of have you seen the the sh- now I'm forgetting the name of it. I think it's called Doctor Death. It's on Peacock. I have not. No. And it's about an actual. I mean, it's it's based on a true story of an actual surgeon who was just butchering people in the operating room. Oh, it's actually a true story. It's but it's it, and the actual true story is horrifying because he's oh a spinal God. surgeon. He's just like maiming people. Oh, and he was clearly the guy is clearly a sociopath. And so, like, there's an element of shits and giggles that reminds me of that. But then you take it to <laughs> such an extreme that is, um, like, I would not call that a scary story. No, but it's no. so much fun. Like that was meant to just be a fun, out there, in your face story. I knew, you know, I know what evil cookie publishing. But you know, that's kind of what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So. When I wrote that one, it was sort of like, okay, again, I need to write, th- write this quickly because I'm almost out of time before the deadline. And like, mm-hmm. I, so I wrote what I knew. Mm-hmm. I was an OR nurse. So I right. wrote an OR story and then I just yeah. took it out there. <laughs> I had so yeah. much. I literally wrote that story, I think, in an afternoon, which is unusual for me because I am not a fast, prolific writer. And I think I wrote that story like in one afternoon. But you can feel you can feel the energy of that. <laughs> and like, and I mean, it, it's, it's hor- like the things that happen in the story are so horrifying. But <laughs> it it does what I think a lot of like really like some extreme horror and also some bizarro fiction does, which is mm-hmm. just like it very knowingly pushes it into this absurdity that becomes very blackly comic. Right. And that's exactly what I wanted. It reminded me of Patrick Harrison's work in some ways. Yeah, I can see that. Just got that like yeah. he he and you in that story. And I think Invader has a little bit of this too. Or just, you have an ability to make us laugh at the most <laughs> awful things. <laughs> you know, Jeff told me that. Jeff Strand, he was like, I, because I was like, I was invited to be in a horror comedy anthology. And I was like, I, me? <laughs> was like, me? Horror comedy? He's like, Bridget, you're brilliant at, at like super dark black humor. I was like, mm-hmm. huh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, that's again, it's like, I just like I never thought of myself as an extreme horror author. I certainly didn't think of myself as good at the black humor, but I guess. Well, and there hearing that from there. from Jeff Strand, where that's you know <laughs> right. what he's known for, <laughs> the prince of, of horror comedy, yeah, right, so exactly. Like... No, that that story, and then Invader. That's also in one of the If I Die Before I Wake. I think that's from that's the fourth, the fourth one. one. Yes, it is. Which is the one that Jeff wrote the foreword for, in fact. So that's that's right. That's right. Yeah, you know, it, it's a sea monster story. In some ways, it's yeah. a very like standard sea monster story. Yeah, and yet you turn it into this like great teenage revenge <laughs> setup. <laughs> and again, trying to like, I don't want to spoil too much, but there's an image that does occur kind of towards the end. And I won't say who the characters are, but let's just say the sea monster has been you know doing doing his business, picking off these poor kids one by one. And one of the kids kind of right before uh, they get chomped by by the sea monster, which is essentially a giant lamprey, I think we can yep. say, looks onto the beach and sees two other kids watching and making <laughs> s'mores. And I was like, that again, I was just like, that is such a, per- like the image of that was so perfect. 
that was so glad you get that scotty (laughs) i mean that one very much felt like like how much i'm just curious was tales from the crypt an influence on me because that one felt very tales from the crypt in terms of that like karmic justice i love my karma in in case you haven't been able to tell i that's kind of my niche like i love that (laughs) but actually my inspiration for that story was do you remember well it was i think it was in a creep show movie it was called the raft oh yeah yeah like that kind of like inspired the idea like you know kind of like for whatever reason like that's kind of the was the thing that inspired that story and that makes sense because creep show obviously that was very that was like stephen king and george romero's kind of take on the old tales from the crypt comics yeah so you you, so we've mentioned jeff strand a couple times and i just i i've always been curious about this so you you and jeff have been anyone listening to the podcast probably knows who jeff strand is (laughs) probably but you've become very good friends with him and his wife so just how did that come about because they seem like they've really kind of been (laughs) champions of yours yeah it's it's kind of weird actually so well i'm i basically i was still working for sinister smile press when he wrote the foreword Mm -hmm. for um the fourth if i die before i wake anthology which is it was tales of something of nightmare creatures nightmare creatures yes thank you that's why it has my wendigo story in it that's right and um I got to read the foreword, you know, because I was working for them. I got to read the foreword before anybody else did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally like I was laughing so hard when I read his foreword. It's really crying. funny. <laughs> right. So I literally like sent him a Facebook message and I was like, thank you for the amazing foreword. That is just brilliant. I was like, mm-hmm. it is so funny. I was like, I have a feeling people are going to be talking about your foreword and none of the stories. <laughs> anyway you know we just started talking and just kind of developed you know like a you know just a typical friendship like on Facebook or whatever and then we actually met I met him he and Lynn at uh, Scares the Care in 2021 I believe yeah it would have been the year when things were starting to start again after COVID but get the first round of vaccines right so we met there and you know we all we got along really well but actually what cemented it was I had started an HWA chapter for the state Uh and we had a a Halloween kind of to do one year at the Haunted Majestic which was a haunted crew like a haunted old military boat it's like a, a haunted house on a military old military boat so anyway, we were having like a signing and doing some stuff at this place in West Virginia. And I invited Jeff and Linda come to be our guests of honor. So we spent, they came on like Wednesday and we kind of spent like the days before that event, like touring the state, like going to the insane asylum and, mm-hmm. and going to the Mothman Museum and, you know, like just things around the state. Right. So and we just had a great time. So that sort of cemented the friendship. And then after that, it was just sort of like, oh, you need to come down and visit or, you know, let's do a writer's Mm -hmm. retreat. And it just sort of evolved, you know, and we all just get along really well. And Jeff is, he's, he's become sort of my mentor. You know, he's, Mm -hmm. you know, he's always there for me if I have any questions or anything. And of course, Lynn's designed some amazing covers for me. Yeah, we should, we should mention Lynn Hansen as one of the preeminent horror artists. Oh, yeah. Of the, like, of really any time, I would say. Yeah. Like, she's incredible. And she did do the book cover for Bouquet of This. Yeah, she did. Which, for those of you who have not seen it, it is flowers that look Mm. very feminine and beautiful. But when you look close, you realize the flowers are made, like the petals and the stamens and everything are made from human body parts. She got Mm. the pictures from, uh, like, vintage autopsy photos. So it was, like, so perfect. I just loved it so much. <laughs> it was like kind of that feminine macabre thing that I just love, yeah. you know. So it was like perfect. 
but yeah, no, it was great. And then she even made because I remember you guys were wearing them. I think at Killicon like dresses with that. Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. she's she actually she hasn't opened her store yet, but she has merch with a lot of her art on it, and she does have bouquet of viscera clothes and all kinds of things. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> So a couple things I want to talk about before we get to Bouquet, because I want to talk about kind of how Bouquet of Viscera came out and how you know what you've done with it. But I want to talk just real briefly, um, you and I, I would say we competed against each other, except there wasn't much actual competition because it just <laughs> blew me away. <laughs> um, but at KillerCon, we did the gross out contest last year. Yeah. We came in second after Judith saw it. After Judith, with who absolutely rocked it. <laughs> I, Judith, like, there was no question. Like, right. when Judith got up and did hers, it was like, oh, she won. <laughs> like, no okay, one's it's like, even... I'm competing for second or third now. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you were a solid second. Like, I was proud of what I did, particularly since I don't write a lot of gross out. Yours was great. Well, thank you. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I went more in, a, I guess you'd say, redneck body horror direction, maybe. <laughs> hey, it worked. Yeah, it, it, people did seem to enjoy it. And mm-hmm. I got some nice comments from John Skip afterwards. So, Which is really cool. I was happy. Yeah. Because I was terrified going into that. Because like I've said, oh I'm not, I don't really write a lot of gross out stuff. So mm-hmm. I was like, can I, like, these are, this is the killer con crowd. Like. These people don't fuck around with this. Right. right. And so the fact that I didn't get the down vote halfway. <laughs> that was all I wanted was to be able to finish the story. Oh my God. I don't know if you noticed because we were sitting beside each other. I was like nervous as hell. <laughs> I think we were both kind of vibrating a little. And then Judith was just <laughs> we like, were. whatever. And it gets up there and blows everybody away. Judith was calm, cool, collected. We're yeah. like. <laughs> but what was i mean just was that your first time doing something like that yeah How i am not a fan that? of public speaking i hate doing readings i will do them because i know i have to but i do not like getting in front of people like that i just mm-hmm. don't but i keep telling myself bridget you know you you're doing this career you need to push yourself out of your comfort zone and just right. freaking do it so that's what i've been trying to do <laughs> Well, I mean, because you, you've been on some panels, too, and I think you're you're always very good and engaging on the panels. And then definitely during the Gross Out contest, I just felt like I felt like when they announced who the winners were, it was Judith, you, and I'm forgetting the, of the name of the guy. Russell, uh, Russell Holbrook? Yes, Russell Holbrook? I think that right? that's correct. It was just, it was obvious that it was like, that was the order of the win. You know, it was obvious <laughs> Judith won. It was obvious you were like right behind Judith. And it was obvious. Because I think what you guys really understood, and I think I did okay with with mine, is just leaning into, like, the Gross Art Contest is not meant to be scary. No. It's meant to be funny. Like, it's meant it to be, like, as just absurd as possible. Mm-hmm. And you guys really all kind of... Um, just own that and I thought the way you handled it where you told basically a true story it's based um, on a true story yes ba- yeah we won't, don't need to say too much more than that but it was uh, <laughs> real horrifying <laughs> it was I mean just oh. I, there's images from your story that still pop into my head <laughs> sorry scotty sorry i mean i all the respect you know (laughs) but i think you you told it in such a just like matter of fact kind of sweet way like well here's a thing that happened once that i think like that it was not it wasn't just the story but it was that contrast of tones of like just you're you're a nice person telling this nice story about horrible 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 things (laughs) because i decided i was gonna wear a dress to the 
to the uh the gross out contest so i had like little mary jane shoes on and yeah. i was wearing like this little skirt <laughs> a little crop top and, and everybody was i think it was i think it was shane mckenzie came up to me afterward and he was like really he's like i thought you were sweet really <laughs> yeah just gave me this look like <laughs> yeah i think i mean i think people were um maybe a little taken aback <laughs> by that you know like i tried to do mine in kind of a deadpan way because i'm i'm not bad at public speaking i've gotten used to it over the years but you know and i'm a teacher so i'm always talking in front of a class right. and stuff but i'm not like i'm not someone who like gets up on you know in front of the class and is like trying to be funny usually you know right I don't do stand-up or anything like that so it was like i can't get up there and like you know everyone was like oh you really need to perform and i'm like i'm not i can't do that but what i can do is this kind of deadpan rednecky thing so that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what i tried to do and i thought it worked i thought like, it you, got a, you got a great reaction i think yeah i i think i was i was pleasantly surprised because i really didn't know how it was going to go and i fell out of my element but i would probably do it again you know if i if i can make it back to killer i'm unfortunately not gonna be able to make it this year but if i can make it oh really you're not yeah just, just too much i mean i'm making it to stoker con but um that's there's been a lot of family stuff going on and and All so right. um you know just like uh i was able to squeeze in one convention this year i figure yeah. make it the big one <laughs> right right i understand that yeah but i'm gonna try and make it to killer con again and if i do it again i'll definitely try my hand at the gross out contest again <laughs> yeah i plan on i've i've kind of already got an idea in my head for the next one so nice. it's a matter of writing it now yeah, I have an idea too that's also based a little bit on a true story and is not unlike uh, Shits and Giggles in some ways. Um, awesome. And only in the sense that it takes place in an operating room with like yeah. a weird 90s rock soundtrack. So <laughs> um, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> keeping that like in the, in the file drawer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then I want to talk real briefly about and I, and I guess I don't know where you invited into or did you submit to the A Woman Unbecoming anthology? I was invited into that. You were invited. Yeah. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I, I can't remember how that, if that was an open call or not. And you wrote a story called A Monster's Child. So this anthology was put up by Chrome Girls Press, um, mm-hmm. edited by Rachel Brune. And I'm forgetting the other, the name of the Carol Geisender. It was Carol Geisender. That's right. Mm-hmm. And it was in reaction to the overturning of Roe v. Wade with the Dobbs right. decision. So this was all stories essentially about the effect of this right. Supreme Court decision. And you wrote a pretty horrifying story that in some ways had a little bit of the feeling that Jinx did and that it did not feel fun in some of the ways your other stories have. (laughs) And I felt like I could feel your anger coming through. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I just want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, when they invited me into that, like I didn't even, she's like, you know, there's a very short turnaround. She's like, you may have like a week Mm -hmm. at most to get the story in. And she's like, you know, it's a charity anthology, so there's no payment. So, you know, I understand if you don't want to do it. But I was like, no, no, I I felt very strongly about this. I have a daughter. Mm -hmm. She is, at the time she was 17. She's 18 now. And, you know, this is scary for me. Like, this was very, it is, it's very scary. And, And so it was like, you know, I I wanted to do this. So I immediately started working on the story and dropped everything else. And that story, honestly, yeah, I was just pissed off as I wrote it. You know, it was just, and I think that probably comes through too. But yeah, it was it was just like, I just, I had this idea of a, of a pregnant woman whose husband was abusive and who refused to, you know, even let her contemplate having an abortion or, re, you know, basically refused her everything. 
kind of had her like tied right. to this house and wouldn't let her do anything. And, you know, <laughs> as per is usual, Bridget, <laughs> it goes off the wall bonkers. But yeah, it was- yeah, you definitely took it in a direction um, that, you know, and whereas like Jinx doesn't offer that kind of catharsis, mm-hmm. you know, I think Jinx, in, in, in a sense, I think wisely with Jinx, you kind of stayed away from that. Yeah. But with a monster's child, you really leaned into that, like the, mm-hmm. the that sense of wish fulfillment, maybe right. <laughs> in a real fucked up way. And I felt like in that moment, that was appropriate because that's what we were all for. right. We needed that. That's exactly what I wanted to give. I wanted to, I wanted people to read that and think, oh, I needed that. <laughs> and it's another one that you know it, it uses the overturning of Roe v. Wade as a springboard. But you're able to get into issues of spousal abuse, of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. What I like about that story is that it shows that that is not, these aren't decisions that happen in a vacuum. Right. It's not like abortion is something that people kind of take lightly. A lot of times the reasons why a woman would make that decision are based on a lot of other misogynistic things that might have happened. Yes. In life. Absolutely. And and so kind of tying that all together in the way that you did, I felt like in a very concise, direct, there's no, you know, again, appropriately, like there's not, you're not being subtle with that story. <laughs> no. And, you know, it felt, what, what did it feel like? Like I talked a little bit to, in my earlier episode to Douglas Ford about Beasts of Vesaria County and how that kind of veers into a political direction in a way that some of his other work doesn't. Right. And even political suicide, you know, even though it deals directly with a politician, it doesn't feel like a political story. No, no. In the way that a monster's child kind of does. How did it feel kind of going in that direction? Well, here's my thing. I've, I've never, I've never really liked when authors force their politics on their readers. I just, Mm -hmm. I just don't like it. You know, I don't read to, you know, have stuff shoved down my throat. But, and like with political suicide, yes, it is about a politician because I really wanted to get my revenge on a politician, but I, I try to keep the politics very low key and out of it really. Yeah. But with, with this particular story, well, first of all, I mean, it's a Roe v. Wade anthology, charity anthology. So, you know, I, I knew everybody knew going in what they were getting. You know, people weren't right. going to be reading this. That Anyone didn't. reading this is going to be seeking that out. Right. You know? Yeah. So I kind of like very much leaned into that. And it was actually cathartic for me. Like it was kind of like I was angry mm-hmm. at that point. You know, it was like, oh, I'm still angry. But, you know, that was it was very raw then. Right. Yeah. And I did push more into it in that partic- in that particular moment in time. But that's not something you're going to see from me, you know, where I'm like kind of like very, very obvious about my politics. Like you're not going to see that from me yeah. because I just don't. It's not my thing. But I have it's no problem if people want to do it. It's just not my thing personally. So. Right. Well, I'm the same way. Like I'm a very politically minded person who tends to keep my politics out of my fiction. Right. But re- both reading Beast of Asari County from Doug Ford and then A Monster's Child, it kind of made me think like, you know, there there's a time and a place, you know, and right. there's a way to do it. And I, and I like the way you guys handled that. And, those, and they're very different, obviously works. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I felt like it was a moment that really called for that. And, you yeah. know, and again, I don't want to turn this into a political podcast, but I think it was, that was a story in that collection in general really like felt, uh, had a, had a big impact on me as a reader. I remember when they put out that collection, cause I have a story that I sold to them that's coming out in their Tangle and Finn collection, which oh, I think awesome. is coming out this year. Yeah. Congratulations. Th- thank you. 
But that got, you know, kind of put on the back burner or, or pushed down the road because they were like, we have to get this one out first. And I remember them right. sending the email out that was almost a little apologetic about like, you know, we're going to have to get this one out. So this is kind of, you know, we're, we're, we're pushing Tangle and Fen down the road a little bit. And I remember just seeing the moment that they announced that they were doing that. I was just like, yes, like, I'm glad you're doing it, you know, because right. it was within, I think, weeks of the. It was, yeah. Like they, they put that quickly. together quick. Yeah. And then I also wanted to talk to you about, well, I guess uh, I guess we can go ahead and talk about Bouquet of Viscera now. So this is your first collection that came out last year? Is that correct? It did. It came out in March of 22. Yeah. That's crazy that it's just over a year ago because I feel like so much has happened. And like... <laughs> this last year has been insane. Yeah. <laughs> well, and after that came out, I met you at two different conventions now, yep. actually in person. <laughs> we got peed on by bats together. We did get so. peed on by bats together <laughs> in Austin. <laughs> forgot about that <laughs> that that needs to be that needs to be <laughs> part of a story at some point and like i said it's just been really kind of fun watching your career and your notoriety has really just kind of shot up in the last year it's crazy to think that's really only been in the last year it has yeah from what i guess i want to talk about how that feels but also just talk about the collection in general and like why you approached it the way you did because you put it out yourself right i did and you yeah. put it all together yourself so just talk about that process a little bit well uh so once again i'm going to be mentioning jeff's name i apologize for mentioning <laughs> no that's fine but he actually he actually asked me he's like so how many stories do you actually have do you have enough where you could you know put out the collection i was like i don't know you know, I had never really yeah. thought about it. So I started looking back to see which choice had reverted back to me. I was like, actually, yeah, I do. I have enough to yeah. put a collection. He's like, well, maybe you could write a couple of original stories and just, you know, put out a new collection. So I was like, okay. So I started doing that. That's when I started Jinx. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that was a hard one. Yeah. But I didn't put any pressure on myself. Like, you know, it was like, that this is self-published. There's no timeline really here. I can mm. do this whenever I want. And um, so I finally got everything done. We told Lynn the title and Lynn was like, oh my God, I just love that title. I already know what I'm going to do for your cover. <laughs> so, you know, she gave me this absolutely amazing cover that I just, it's, it's, it reflects me so well. It's like not yeah. even funny. And um, Jeff basically helped me with all the steps of, you know, like getting everything right, making sure everything was correct for, you know, to get it self-published. And I had zero hopes. And Todd Keesling did the formatting, the interior formatting, which if you haven't seen the inside of the book, it's really beautiful like it's really, really well done yeah. it is and uh christine morgan edited it for me okay and um so yeah and then it, we i actually had my goal was to hopefully get it done by stoker con of last year which was in may of last year mm. but we actually got it done way earlier than that so i ended up releasing it in march and um i had zero expectations with this book like zero yeah. i i was an unknown it was a collection not a novel and i just honestly i i didn't think it would do anything i thought there was not a chance in hell that i would make the money back that i'd invested in it mm. but somehow some way by like some twisted fate <laughs> caught on it did amazingly well i made all my money back and more i actually became active hwa just from that mm -hmm. book alone yeah. it got a book club deal it got a kindle daily deal wow. <laughs> it, it, you know it was not nominated for two splatterpunk awards it just sort of blew up and mm -hmm. honestly it puts <laughs> 
I'm not, I'm not going to tell you I'm unhappy, but obviously I'm over the moon about how well <laughs> this book did, but it also like, you know, I had these new books coming out and it's like sophomore slump. I'm like, so scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, that's, I think that's a very human. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was, it was a, a wonderful thing. Like I loved everything about it. I'm not going to tell you that I, um, that I love self-publishing more than traditional publishing because I haven't actually been traditionally <laughs> published yet. That's coming. But I, uh, I love self-publishing. I love the control that I have of it. And I, you know, like I get to pick my title. I get to pick my covers. I get, you know, everything is me. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for self-publishing. Like I really love it. So. Well, I'm, I'm in the middle of putting together a collection finally. <laughs> you need help. Just let me know. Probably a year later than I should have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you have tons of stories. You could easily um, have a nice. Yeah. I, I did. I, it was a good problem to have. I had to like winnow down. What yeah. I wanted to put in there, but I'm really vacillating. I'm going back and forth between do I, do I shop it around to some publishers? Yeah. You know, there's a couple of publishers I feel pretty confident I'll at least get considered from, right. you know? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, but there's a part of me that's really tempted to try and put it out myself, too. And, right. and you know, kind of, you're kind of an inspiration for that. I guess for me, I don't know, like, I know that that ends up being like a lot of time a lot of work you know it is yeah. and I'm like and I'm debating like do I do that for this book or I also have a novella that I'm going to be wanting to get out do I do that for that one you know which part of me is like you know maybe I take the collection to a publisher just get it out quick mate hopefully yeah I was gonna say with publishers you may not get them out too quickly I was gonna say quick yeah but like <laughs> Uh, maybe maybe what I mean is like turn it over to someone else and let them kind of worry, about, worry it about it yeah, while right. I'm working on getting something else out. Other stuff done, right. But, you know, I, I keep, at some point I'm just going to have to flip a coin to make a decision, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you ultimately, if you do decide to do self-publishing, just let me know. I can help you out anyway. So. Well, I'm, I will definitely be reaching out to you. <laughs> yeah. If, right. You know, if that's what you've got, you, there, I think there's positives to both. And I think pretty mm. much any like hybrid author will tell you that, you know, there's, there's positives and negatives to both. So it's just sort yeah. of a matter of basically, I think it boils down to how much control do you want to have over the project. So, yeah. And that's, and I guess that's where like, there's a part of me with the collection. I'm like, I feel less maybe a little less attached to control over that than I do this novella that I'm working on or the novel right. that I'm almost finished with. Those I feel like more like maybe I really want to like put the work into that. But right. I don't, you know, I've seen, you know, the other thing is like, I always tell myself like, oh, you get the collection out, but like no one reads it. They read your novel. You know, it's good to have the collection okay. out there, but whatever. But then Bouquet of Vista, I was like, well, fuck, everyone read that. <laughs> so... <laughs> maybe i should maybe i should think about that yeah like don't don't you know take that a little more seriously so um i keep going back and forth we'll we'll see where i <laughs> land on that but so with bouquet of viscera you know and you've got the splatterpunk nominations you say you have some more collections coming out in like a month <laughs> yeah Is it two of them that's interesting yeah so um they are going to like nobody actually knows this yet i mean it's on my website but i don't i haven't actually made an official announcement but yeah it's going to be two collections they each have three novelettes in them Mm -hmm. and um okay. the first one is called sweet sour and spicy the second one is called what the fuck was that and they're kind of they're not you don't have to buy them at the same time you, you, they're not connected in any way but they are uh -huh. being released on the same day so they're their covers you know kind of you know go together and stuff so yeah i i just i had several stories that had reverted back to me and i had several stories that i had written 
I didn't feel like they really all fit together into uh-huh. one collection. <laughs> so I was kind of like, well, Jeff's like, well, what, you know, it's kind of an idea if you do two and release them on the same day. I was like, that is kind of a cool idea. It's kind of different. So yeah. that's kind of what's going to happen. And the goal is to get them out before StokerCon. I've been working my butt off trying to get these done. So these are, so these are also, you're putting these out yourself? Yeah, I'm going to self-publish these. Now, I have two novels that I'm writing this year. One is the novelization for Dead Girl, and one is mm-hmm. the, um, it's going to be a horror novel for Mary San Giovanni's imprint through Thunderstorm Books. Oh, so okay. Those are both going to be coming out. But for these, I'm I'm self-publishing them. So I, I figure I'm, I'm going to probably end up being a hybrid author. I love, yeah. I think I'll like traditional publishing, but I also think that I'll continue self-publishing stuff too because I just really like the process. So. Yeah. Well, and like you said, you know, that sense of control. And you've proven yourself mm-hmm. a bouquet of viscera that like you can do it and that people will read it. Well, my thought process was I really, it was the first time that I was going to be putting myself out there. So I really wanted it to reflect me. Like who I am, what, you know, this is what I write. This is who I am. I wanted it to just be perfect. And so I, you know, to do that, I, you know, I, I had to self-publish it because yeah. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have had very little input if I traditionally published it. So right. yeah, I was just, but that's, I kind of just wanted to say, okay, here I am. This is me. This is, you know, this is what you can expect from me. And I, I wanted to have that control over the product that I was putting out. And what's the release date? For the, for the new for ones. The new, for the new ones. We're hoping to have them out for StokerCon. So that would be mid-June. Okay. Don't actually have like the actual date yet because I haven't like uploaded them to Amazon or you know, figured yeah. that out yet. But <laughs> Well, but as yeah, soon as it, you do, send me a link. I'll post it in the show notes for awesome. the episode. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, I do want to talk about Dead Girl. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had heard of this movie when it came out. It came out, what was it, 2008 or 2009? I I think it came out in like film festivals in 2008 and then was like theatrically released in 2009 i believe that's, is what it was i was living in la at the time and i feel like that was playing in independent cinemas in la right right and i never saw it but i remember watching the trailer and thinking it looked interesting and then <laughs> but i never got around to seeing it and then you mentioned that you were doing this novelization so i went back and i and i did watch it you can find it on youtube you have to you know rent it off of youtube oh you had to rent it yeah which is fine oh i'm sorry (laughs) no no, i mean that's i was planning i was expecting to but i guess first let's talk about the movie and then let's talk about the process of and how how it came about that you you're gonna novelize it so (laughs) do you want to give kind of the setup for the movie like what the movie's about so the movie is about two high school guys Uh who um they go to an abandoned i believe it's like a mental institution of a mental hospital and they're just kind of goofing off, drinking beers, having a great time. Yeah, they're kind of like the stoner dudes, you know, cutting class. Stoner yeah. dudes, right. So they kind of come across this room that's kind of blocked and they're like intrigued. Mm-hmm. So they move their stuff out of the way and they, they get into this room and they end up finding what they first think is a dead body. Mm-hmm. But then they realize, no, it's not a dead body. She's actually still alive and she's chained to a table mm-hmm. in this like dungeony, like basement type room. Right. And uh <laughs> Well, you can probably imagine where the story goes from there because you have two horny high school guys (laughs) and a girl who is kind of basically she's uh, she's not there's obviously something wrong. She's you know, she can be stabbed and she still lives. They call her a zombie girl. But I mean, I don't know if she's technically a zombie or, you know, what the deal is with this. I like the ambiguity of that. There's a lot of ambiguity about that in the movie. So, you know, and it kind of goes from there. They basically have their. 
their sex slave and uh, the movie kind of goes from there yeah it was a much more fucked up movie than i expected it to be <laughs> and i expected it to be because you know you watch the trailer you kind of know what the the premise right right but it really like fucking went there and (laughs) (laughs) it's you know it's interesting i was looking it's got 29 percent from the critics on rotten tomatoes oh and i'm like well yeah because like critics they watch you know critics with horror in general is always a tricky proposition right right but reading some of the reviews it's just like wow you people did not get the point of this movie (laughs) (laughs) because the movie it's not you know i saw a couple of reviews where like this is what teenage boy wish fulfillment fantasy you know girl chained to a tape and i'm like one i was a teenage boy and that was never a wish of mine so right um just putting that out there but also like the movie never endorses what these guys are doing well particularly one of the two one of them is much more like oh, right. uh, conflicted than the other i thought that movie again not i don't want to like overstate it or over um again not trying to be like super political about it but you know there's a term we all throw around uh toxic masculinity <laughs> and a lot of people bristle with that term you know, it's become kind of one of those, uh, I don't know, what would you say, uh, mantras or whatever, you know, that, that yeah. has come to mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Right. But it's kind of, wep- it's been weaponized by both sides of the political debate. That's absolutely correct. But this movie really gets to like, there can be something real toxic about masculinity, particularly this kind of, I guess you would say almost like what we would now call like incel sort of resentment from like the boys that are maybe uh feel like they're not being given the the opportunities we should say uh that other boys are getting whether that is true or not true but you know that's in a lot of people's heads and i thought that this movie really kind of got it that psychology in a way that's not it's not again like it's not making a political point but it's really getting at like something that is really ugly in a lot of young men and it manages to do it in a way that is at times really funny. It's always entertaining. <laughs> and it's yeah. very disturbing. I mean, it's and it's a pretty scary movie. I thought I thought it was really it was I was surprised by the movie. So I guess what was your reaction to did you had you seen the movie before or did you watch it when you were kind of approached to do this novelization? I actually like I don't remember exactly how it came about, but I watched the movie shortly after it came out, like way back in like 2009. And I surprisingly really liked the movie. Like I wasn't I was like you, I I actually found it kind of scary because it's like you like to go back to what you said earlier, human monsters are far scarier to me than like supernatural monsters. So to me, this this movie was just like terrifying. Mm. And I, I like you, I thought it was really well done. Like there's this there's this black humor that's sort of weaved throughout yeah. it. And it's just, you know, I just I thought it was a well done movie. And I know I know a lot of people are, are probably have watched it or have seen it or will watch it and be like, oh my God, you know, like masochistic mm. bullshit. But to me, yeah, I feel like they're not getting the point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it, to me, it reminds me of like, because I know that there's probably some dumb teenage boys who would watch a movie like that and would sort of miss the point. And I guess that's what the critics were mad about. Right. But it reminds me of the people who watched Fight Club and were like, you know, what I want to do is go start a fight club. And it's like, <laughs> did you watch the second half of that movie? Because <laughs> like the movie is very clearly like making clear like this is a bad 
idea. Right. <laughs> you know? And so, like, if you find a dead zombie girl chained to a table, like, I didn't feel like dead girl is, like, saying, like, here's what you should do. Like, it's, like, no. It's, it's, it's definitely using the premise to, like, make kind of the counter argument, I guess. Right. How, so how did it come about? Well, I guess just when you watch that movie, like, how did it come about that you were going to do the novelization? Like, was this something that was your idea or did someone approach you to do it? You said it's from Mary San Giovanni's imprint. Oh, no, that's that's a different book. That I'm oh, doing. okay. Dead Girl is through in Psych Apocalypse publications. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm actually writing a separate horror novel that will come out from Mary's imprint through Thunderstorm. Oh, okay. So, cool. Yeah, those are two different projects. So, last fall, I had actually contacted in Psych Apocalypse and I was like, can you get the rights to Night of the Creeps? Because I would really like to write the novelization for it. And, oh, and Sean came back and he was like i don't think we can get that it's studio owned he's like i don't think we can get that one so i was really bummed because i love the movie night of the creeps but so then i was i was sitting there thinking about uh another novelization that i'd like to do and and honestly dead girl popped into my head because i feel like it kind of fits my niche as far as it definitely does (laughs) it does yeah right so i thought it it really does i mean like i i I mean, I have plans for the novelization, but I, I contacted Sean and I was like, okay, what about Dead Girl? Can you get the rights to Dead Girl? He's like, I think I can. And I swear to God, within 10 minutes, he's like, we've got it. Really? You're on. And he sent me the contract. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, um, holy crap. So then he gets in contact with this, the screenwriter who he knows, Trent Haga. Mm-hmm. And Trent emails me. He's like, hey, I hear you're doing the novelization. He's like, you know, you can play in my sandbox as much as you want. He sent me the screenplay for, he sent me the original draft and then he sent me the oh, wow. final screenplay draft. And then he also sent me, he, they were actually talk about doing a second dead girl. And he sent me his screenplay for the second dead girl, which never came to light. Interesting. Yeah. So I have all these screenplays. So when I was in Chattanooga earlier this winter, Jeff and I watched dead girl and we made notes and started like talking it through and you know making up ideas and i'm i actually have a lot of plans for the novelization (laughs) so So you're gonna stick pretty close or are you gonna incorporate some of the things from these other drafts i am going to i'm going to stick pretty close to the the male's point of Mm -hmm. view part of the movie but i'm actually bringing in more of the zombie girl we're going to get a little bit of history about zombie girl (laughs) she's she's going to be a become a more sympathetic character in this in my version (laughs) well i that's interesting you say that because i actually found her to be a very sympathetic character in the movie. i guess maybe i worded that wrong what i mean is you're going to she's not just going to be a slab of meat laying you know what i mean like she's going to you're going to get some history about her you know she's going to have more of a story than just yeah well and i think the novelization really because you know in a movie you know i just know from my years working as a screenwriter dealing with backstory in a screenplay is so hard because like what are you going to do you're going to have a character stand there and talk about like well you know i found a newspaper article that explains (laughs) girl comes from or like are you going to go to like right you know wayne's world flashback or like <laughs> it's like it's hard to do <laughs> that's a very good point but a novel gives you a lot more leeway there right so yeah i and that was kind of like when i watched the movie i was kind of like i i wish we knew a little bit you know like why is she in this room where did she come from what the hell happened here you know i was kind of thinking of that i mean the movie doesn't need that right but i was just like thinking you know the novelization that could make a very interesting you know like yeah. secondary story so it's like well and i think you know that's something you can bring to the table that will make it uh something new you know something that will stand on its own right 
That's the hope. So you mentioned Trent Haga. Like it's interesting because I didn't hadn't realized until I was reading up on the movie that he was behind this. Yeah. And you know, I remember him from like he was an actor in a bunch of the trauma movies. Right. He was in I want to say Terra Firma, maybe. Um I know he was I, in, think so. I believe he's in Citizen Toxie. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. I, so I kind of knew him through that world and I had forgotten that he had also was working as a screenwriter. And one thing I I really felt like Dead Girl is like one thing that sets it apart from a lot of those kind of low budget horror, you know, kind of indie horror movies or or just any really Mm -hmm. any horror movie is that it's a very well written script, I thought. It is. And I thought that the way he handles the Dead Girl in particular is um, because, like you said, she's kind of a zombie, but like definitely not a traditional zombie. No, no. It's an open question how aware she is right of what's going on and i like that there's moments where you're like wait is she kind of like is she making plans is there you know right doing their thing where you think that there's actually something working behind her you know behind those eyes you can kind of see her brain right and then other times it's like okay maybe, maybe not, not. Exactly. so yeah there's like this there's just this complete question about okay what is up with this girl like Mm -hmm. and i find that intriguing as hell so what was it that gave you because you said you so it was kind of came it was your idea you weren't approached to do it no and you tried to do this with night of the creeps which by the way i mean if you ever do get the the rights to that i'm gonna be one of the first people to buy that book because i love that (laughs) (laughs) right i do too it's one of my favorites um but what gave you the idea to do a novelization um it was I, I, I swear I feel like a broken record, but it was Jeff writing uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Mm. I kind of watched his process and, you know, like had him like sending me his copies of the, you know, like yeah. the drafts as he wrote them. And it was like, oh, this seems like it would be so much fun yeah. to do something like this. So that kind of got me in the brain. Like, it's like, you know, am I doing this because... I want to make money off of it. No, uh, you know, obviously no, but it's like, I just think this will be a super fun thing yeah. that I can just have on my resume that I will really enjoy doing because I'm already like looking forward to diving in. I'm trying to get like some stuff done before I, I dive into that. Cause I want to kind of give it my full attention when I start. Well, and it is, a, it's a great choice of a project to do novelization for, because you know, it's not a super well-known movie, but it's got a real cult following in the horror world. It does. Yes. Cause even though I had, I remember when it came out, I hadn't watched it, but it, it's, it's a movie that pops up on lists all the time. And mm-hmm. it was always, it was a movie that has been in my head. Like, Oh, I need to catch up with that one. So it wasn't a movie that came and went. It definitely has its following. Right. And it, like you said, it's right in your wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. it's also and it does there's a lot of room for you to like build on the story and expand so exactly. it's really like smart choice i think you know it almost feels like it'll be a novelization that can be as i, I don't want to take anything away from the filmmakers or from trent or you know anyone else of course. but it feels yeah. like you can you can really make it your own thing right you know in a way that like if you were hired to do a novelization for you know a bigger movie or something i know like right. the the people who write the star wars novelizations exactly they're very constrained and they're like how much of themselves they can put into this and this seems like right. this this is just give you a lot more freedom than like a typical novelization Right. I basically have complete freedom. And that's actually one of the things I was going to ask Trent, but he actually got to it before me. He literally was like, hey, you know what? Do what you want. Do whatever the hell you want. Play in my sandbox. <laughs> that's great. Cause... And I thought that was awesome because, you know, he was basically giving me full. Yeah. I always, you know, I, you know, I teach screenwriting, I teach film and I try to impart 
to my students this idea of like you know don't convince yourself you're orson wells or even quentin tarantino it's like don't be precious about what you're doing like (laughs) you know and it's like you know always be moving on to the next thing i think it applies here you know it reminds me of the stephen king there's a a maybe apocryphal the stephen king story where some interviewer was like how do you feel about they always ruin your books when they make the movies how do you feel about that he's like they didn't ruin anything they're on the shelf behind me and it's like He's just like, you know, I did what I did. And then they they did what they did. And like, there's no reason to be like that possessive over something. Right. So for Trent Haga to be like, yeah, have fun. Like, and, and have the trust in you to be able to to just kind of run with it. Right. You know, that that is, I know from working with a lot of filmmakers and screenwriters, that that's not something you run into that often. Oh, really? <laughs> people can be. Well, see, that's good to know. People can be very, very possessive. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like, it really sounds like a great opportunity. Yeah, it is. I'm super stoked about this. I really am. So are you working on it I'm excited now? Or you haven't started yet? We've, I've done preliminary stuff. You know, like I've watched the movie a couple of times. I've taken notes. I've got, you know, I've, I've started reading through the screenplays. It's just, I haven't actually started the writing process, but I, I kind of wanted to like make sure that I have everything in place before I get started. Cause I think I can knock this out pretty quickly. It's just a matter of getting, you know, all my ducks in a row first. Right. So do you have like a time frame for when you think it'll be released? I am hoping to have it done by the end of summer. Okay. So uh, based on like when Jeff finished Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and when it came out, I'm going to say there's probably going to be a six month wait right. after I finished it before it comes out. So I'm going to say probably next spring, hopefully. Okay, cool. Maybe. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Maybe early or late winter or somewhere in there. Yeah. Awesome. That's that's my goal. I mean, I can't, obviously, I'm not going to make any promises, but that is certainly the goal. So yeah, well, I'm, we'll I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you. I wasn't sure, like, after you messaged me, like, oh, this movie, man. <laughs> oh. You may not want to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, that's the thing, you know, like, I mean, it is interesting because I'm, you know, like I've, like I've said, I, I'm not really an extreme horror writer myself, but I've been sort of trying to push myself to at least have that tool in my toolbox, you know? Right, right. Um, But I've always liked stuff that's really transgressive and stuff that really like goes for it, even though I, you know, I don't necessarily in my own work, you know, I tend more towards the like the Lovecrafty kind of cosmic horror realm. You do. Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. But, but. I love reading stuff that just like just takes a big swing at something and like that is unafraid like we've said to be offensive or and so you know as I was watching Dead Girl I was like oh this movie's way more fucked up than I thought it would be (laughs) but I was I was with it the whole way through (laughs) and it does you know like you and a couple other writers Patrick Harrison I mentioned um Christine Morgan of course Uh some people I've been reading have been really inspiring me to be like yeah like push the envelope you know don't be afraid to push that you can right i think that makes us better writers when we can like do things maybe we're not necessarily comfortable with or that we don't consider our you know our forte as a writer or whatever like i right i and i try to keep doing that i keep trying to like push myself to write things that i normally wouldn't write so well you know even back to the gross out contest like that definitely did not feel like my comfort zone but i'm really glad i did it and i ended up having a lot of fun doing it of course right yeah and you did a great job. Oh, thank so. you. <laughs> Not as good as you, but still, but still had a good time doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Yeah. That's the point, I think. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, have a good time. Right. It's a fun time. So, 
Well, I think uh, go ahead and wrap it up. But uh, thanks again. It's always fun talking to you. I know. And I, I miss you, Scotty. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll see you in just soon. Under like a six month. weeks or no, something? No, it's like three weeks. Month, a month? Yeah. yeah. It's, oh my gosh, it's creeping up. Yeah. So soon. See you in Pittsburgh for StokerCon. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, this has been Horror from the High Desert, and I will be back with you guys again in a couple weeks. 